0: Well, good morning again. Thank you so much for uh, being here this morning. Really happy to see everybody out. Uh, This week we're continuing with our series called Out of Context. And it's a series sort of about applying Scripture well. uh, Because here at IPC we have a mission. uh, And the first part of our mission is pretty specific about what we're supposed to be doing. The first part says... We're here to introduce people to Jesus. And then the second part says uh, we're supposed to grow in our faith. And when you're introducing somebody to Jesus or you're growing in your faith, whether you're brand new to the concept or it's something that you've been going through for a long time, and no matter where you are on your faith journey, we know that one of the greatest gifts that we have, one of the best resources that we have to both learn and to grow is Scripture, is the Word of God. And it's really, really important that we engage with it in a way that is healthy and that helps us grow, but also helps people get to know Jesus. And we're learning that more and more people are sort of turning away from religion or Christianity or faith uh, in general. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we could get into, but one of them certainly is, is that from time to time, people use Scripture out of context. And when that happens, it's actually uh, quite harmful. And so we've talked about a couple ways for the last couple of weeks that Scripture is occasionally taken out of context, and we've tried to sort of uh, help us out, understand how we can do that a little bit better. And today, we're going to do uh, the same thing. Now, through this series, I'll say this before I start I've been consulting this book, which I've really enjoyed. It's this book by Adam Hamilton, and it's called Half Truths, Uh, God Helps Those Who Help Themselves and Other Things the Bible Doesn't Say. Now, it's a small book. Um, uh, it's, It's actually, you know, there's five or six little chapters in here. It's really challenging. It bends your brain. A couple of these we're taking on in this series, and a handful of them we aren't. And so I would suggest that if you've enjoyed this series, if this is something that you felt like, wow, we've really thought about some different things that we hadn't considered, grab this little book, read a a chapter every once in a while, I think you'll probably learn something. And as it happens, uh, God helps those who help themselves is today's out-of-context biblical concept. And so I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I certainly have lots of times. This concept that... God helps those who helps themselves. And and there's a little bit of research behind how this happened. And so I'm just going to give that to you. Uh, The Barna Group, which is a Christian research group uh, in the States, they do extensive studies. They've been doing them for years and years. A lot of the things that we know and learn about trends in Christianity are coming from them. So we're really grateful for their work and their ministry. They say this, um, uh, based, this is a study that was based in the U.S. Um, eight in ten Americans think that God helps those who help themselves is a phrase that would be found in the Bible. And just over half think that it's one of the ten commandments. So this is interesting, and we can giggle, and that's okay, that's fine, uh, but, you know, when you're not somebody who's engaged all the time, when you're a part of a nation uh, where Christianity has a large base, but maybe you're not in it all the time, a phrase like this that has kind of been common practice, it makes sense that something like that would exist. And just to make sure that we're being fair to our brothers and sisters from the South, generally speaking, they're a, theologically about 15 years behind where we are which means that if we're uh, a little bit more progressive or liberal on one thought or idea, they're not quite there yet. So when you look at our two countries and when we look at Christian trends, usually uh, Canada is actually sort of a bit of the warning of what's coming next, which means if these numbers exist in the U.S., then they certainly exist here, and if not, they're probably higher. So just for a little bit of perspective sort of on how Canada in the U.S. when we read surveys, how that works. Now, how does a concept like this come to be? How does God help those who help themselves become something that so many people, whether they're Christians or just know about the Bible and Scripture, uh, come to believe is something that's really true and biblical? Well, there's a couple of reasons. So we're going to look at the uh, the context in two ways. We're going to look at the cultural history and context first, Then we're going to look in the Bible and see maybe where that sort of thought can come from. Then we're going to talk about how we can sort of change that into something that is actually what it's meant to be and use it well in our day-to-day life. So there is some history behind this, and it starts in the 5th century B.C. in Greek tragedies. And there was a Greek tragedy that was written, and in one of those lines in this play, it says... Try first thyself, and after call in God, for the work the worker God lends himself to those in aid. So this idea that God helps those who help himself sort of happened in a culture first in a play, in a Greek tragedy. We move up a little bit, and the same sort of story is found in Hercules and the wagoner in the first century A.D. In this story, uh, a wagon falls into the ravine, and when the driver appeals to Hercules, he's told first to get to work himself and try it out on his own, and then perhaps Hercules will come and save him and help. And perhaps where it cemented itself the most in our Western culture was in 1736, when Benjamin Franklin wrote this phrase in his work, Richard's Almanac. He wrote that phrase uh, which helps bring sort of this into our context. God helps those who help themselves. And so there's actually some cultural history as to how one of these things sort of slowly but surely makes its way into our regular language. And so, okay, that's cultural, but if it was just cultural, How does that happen? You'd think somebody at some point would point out and go, well, there's no real biblical basis for that. And that's where this gets interesting because as the book is called Half-Truths, God helps those who help themselves and other things the Bible doesn't say, there's just been a little bit of half-truth in almost everything we've done in this series. And that's the case here with this this morning. So, If you have your Bible app or a physical Bible with you, I would invite you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, If you don't want to do that and you just want to look up on the screen, that is fine too. So let's read here starting in verse 6 and then we'll go back and we'll talk about the context of this particular set of Scripture and how it could have translated itself into this idea. In the name, this is Paul writing, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we command you brothers and sisters to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. We all know people like that. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed, yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now you're going to read this and you're going to go, Mike, the thing that you're saying, and this, is very clear. This set of verses is clearly speaking against this concept, so how did that happen? Well, here's the context into which uh, this is written. First, Paul is writing to a group that uh, we call uh, the Thessalonians, They were based in, uh, again, another port city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the largest city in Macedonia. It was also the capital, and we see that Paul and Silas and Timothy plant this church in Acts chapter 17. So if you want to go back and find that, uh, you can. Now, before I get to the map here, which I will in a second, I just want to go inside baseball for sort of the church crowd here for a minute. So if you're here and you're learning about Jesus for the first time, I promise there's tons there for you. I'm just going to go inside baseball here for the church people for just a second, okay? Sometimes when we talk about church, we talk about how to get the word out. That first part of our mission statement is to introduce people to Jesus. And there's always this push and pull. There's this tug between letting the Holy Spirit work and us doing the things that we're called to do, and this word that we use sometimes that we call strategy. Like, how are we actually going to get the word out to the places that we want it to go? And sometimes there's this push and pull in the church because we sit here and we go, well, we should just do this, and if we think about it too much or if we plan too much, Or maybe we'll get in the way of the Holy Spirit and it won't work. And then there's other people that go, all we need to do is strategy and then then the rest will follow. I want to point out here that as we look at this map and as we look at the things that we've learned through this series and as we really look at Paul as a case study, look at how many places in port cities and places that lots of people would go were places that he visited. Corinth. Thessalonica, Rome, right? All of these different spots that he goes. They're hubs. They're places with a lot of traffic. They're places with a lot of people. They're places where Paul plants a church strategically in a spot, knowing that the Holy Spirit can work and that the message can go out from a place where a lot of people end up. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So when we sort of talk about that around here at IPC a little bit, and as that starts to come down the line in the next few months, and we sort of talking about some of the things that we're doing, we talk about them not from the sense of we think we're so great, and we can accomplish all things, but we look at Paul, and we go, look at the faith that Paul had, but also look at the example he set of the places he chose that he know the gospel could move out from strategically as places that people would see it and encounter it, maybe like very personally or maybe sort of on the periphery, but it would start to sort of get in there and work. Okay, now let's come back in here, everybody can come back. If, if you're sort of new, that probably didn't do anything for you, but as we work through a time of transition in IPC as to what we're up to next, that part of the conversation is going to come up quite a bit, and I just thought this was a good time to maybe point that out. Okay, Paul is on his second missionary journey. So his second missionary journey is this yellow line, and if you follow it from the right side, about halfway up on the top, there's Thessalonica. So that's where this letter is written to. And what happened is that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they plant this church in Thessalonica. And then, you know, they teach the gospel and they talk about Jesus. And one of the things they talked about and one of the things that they taught was that people should be ready for the return of Jesus soon. We've talked about this for years and years. Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows the day or the hour, but we know that he's coming back. And in those times, when Jesus left, he said, basically is the way that a lot of people interpreted was, I'll be right back. And so when they were speaking and preaching and teaching about this, this was a lot of their attitude. I'll be right back. And so when Paul would teach, sometimes people would think, oh, Jesus is coming like tomorrow. So I don't need to work anymore. I don't need to... Do that much anymore. I don't need to go out and toil. I don't need to do the crops. I, I'm a really, I'm the worst farmer in the world, right? There are so many people in this room going, "You are just," I know. I need to visit more places, um, right? You need to, you need to work. You can't. You, I don't need to do that anymore. I can just sit. I can wait because Jesus is going to come. He's going to fulfill all my needs. I don't have to worry about it. And this was sort of some of the attitude that was creeping into the Thessalonians in that beginning of the church. And so Paul hears that this is happening and he goes, oh boy, okay, that's not really what I I mean, that's what I meant, Jesus is coming back, but that doesn't mean you just get to relax, that doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything, you still have to work. So God, or so Paul writes this letter, and he says, don't be idle, don't be disruptive, don't sit and wait, don't hang on, don't be lazy, and then he comes in with even stronger words, if you see people that are doing that, disassociate, make them feel ashamed that they're sitting around and doing nothing. And it's pretty easy to draw a line from that type of teaching to you know God's not going to help you unless you help yourself. So biblically, there's actually a little bit of truth here to that. But but contextually, is that what it really means? There's a lot of sort of other verses, um, you know, that, that that talk about this. And, and you know, actually, you know what? We're, we'll we'll get into those. Here in a second. But, but I think it's really important that we remember that, that Paul says, you need to work, but Jesus is still coming. It's, it's that gap. It's, it's that middle part. It's that peace. And there's lots of other sort of teaching on this. Uh, James writes, true devotion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God the Father is this, to care for the orphans and the widows in their difficulties. The parable of the sheep and the goat says, Jesus tells us that God judges us not only by our faith, but whether our faith uh, leads us to greater compassion for the poor and needy. Paul again says that we're saved by the kind of faith that moves our hearts to action, faith working through love. Proverbs captures this idea. It says, laziness brings poverty, hard work makes one rich. It also says those who are gracious to the poor lend to the Lord and the Lord will fully repay them. Proverbs also says those who close their ears to the cries of the poor will themselves call out and receive no answer. Happy are the gracious people because they give some of their food to the poor. And it even suggests that compassion for others is a form of worshiping and being obedient to God. Speaking on God's behalf, Hosea says this, I desire faithful love and sacrifice. So Jesus, you know, we we hear this biblically all over the place, this concept that uh, you're not supposed to just sit still. You're not supposed to sit idle. You, You have to do some work. You have to go do it. And so you take those verses and you take this story and you take the concept and you take the cultural history and it's actually pretty easy to get to God helps those who help themselves. Think about that phrase for a second. I'm going to just give you like 15 or 20 seconds in your own mind. Think about how the concept God helps those who help themselves manifests itself in your life. How would you practically apply something like that in your day to day. I'll give you like 20 seconds just to think about it and then we'll come back for a second. want to ask people, but, you know, things that come to my mind right away are, okay, if God helps those who help themselves, and I don't feel like that I'm getting the help that I need, am I not helping myself enough? (laughs) What's going on? Is it my fault? Do I have to earn help from God? Is that something that comes only after, you know, is God's grace or forgiveness something that I don't have access to yet? Have I not done the right things to help myself? We can, again, as we've seen in the last few weeks, sort of spiral into this sort of vortex of not really having any clear answers to come out of. And so there's a couple of problems. I mean, there's a handful of problems with this phrase, but specifically here's a couple. The first sort of half-truth is this, that a phrase like this can actually justify our lack of service to other people. So let me say that again. A phrase like this can justify our lack of service to other people. And you can see how this would happen. We, we might look at somebody and we might go, boy, I'd really love to help you, but it doesn't look like you're helping yourself. And so I'd love to show you some compassion and give you a little bit of grace, but boy. I just need to see something out of you first. That's a problem. That's not what we're called to. (laughs) That's not how we're called to be. God is clearly concerned, as we read here in these verses previously, about the poor, about the orphans, about people who are on the fringes, who are on the outside. In Leviticus, it says, when you reap the harvest on your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Lead them for the poor and for the foreigner riding amongst you, for I am the Lord. This teaching that God was giving them was say, when you harvest your field, don't do it all. Because there are going to be some people that just need a little bit of help. And so give it to them by not taking everything from yourself but offering some of what you have to them. That concept goes away or gets really muddy with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Because we are imperfect people. And I don't know about you, but occasionally I am selfish. It happens with my time, with my thoughts, with my grace, with my patience, with my gratitude. I just don't want to give it. And it's pretty easy for me to draw a line To look at somebody who might need my help and go, well, you put yourself in that spot. And when I see you starting to work yourself out of it, maybe I'll come around. Okay, that sounds terrible. We've all thought it at least once. Which is why there's a nervous giggle. That concept, that attitude, that little bit in your heart, that comes from this. You justify that action by saying, Well, God helps those who help themselves. And as His grace is limited, then so can mine be. And that's a problem <laughs> because God's grace isn't limited. <laughs> It didn't just come for a few people. It came for all of us. But it's pretty easy for us to get self-righteous in that moment. Whew, and we just need to relax from that. right? We need to remember that, as Lauren was reminding me this week, um, God didn't invite a few people to the banquet. God throws a banquet and He invites people, and then some of those people come and He invites more people, and he invites more people, and he invites the people that have no business being at the banquet because the banquet isn't exclusive. It's for everybody because that's who God's grace is for. It's not just for people who help themselves. So here's kind of the the first takeaway here. This is the one I try not to do these too often. This is the one that's maybe a little bit of a gut punch, and I'm sorry, but remember that when I write these, it's not just a gut punch to you. It's probably me first because I've been looking at it all week. If you're a Christian and have no compassion for those in need and do little to care for them because you believe that God helps those who help themselves, you have missed an essential component of the gospel. You just have. You might not have done it on purpose. You might not even know you're doing it on purpose, but it's happening. And so that's one of those moments that it might be time to look internal and go, I might need to do some praying here. We might need to work on this. Here's the other piece. If you're not a Christian and you believe that you you can't be because somehow you need to earn God's help, you're also missing an essential component of the gospel. (laughs) And I don't know if any of you are here this morning or if anybody online is feeling that, but if you are, I want you to know that there's more to the gospel than just that little piece that you might know because God's grace extends to all of us equally. Now, here's the second problem. Here's the second half-truth. Here's the second piece that's a little bit damaging when we think about this. Some people are just too deep in sin and despair to find their way out. Some people are just too deep and too in despair to find their way out. Sometimes people are so lost that they just don't know what to do. And you don't need to think about that in a big, like, life circumstance. Think about a small moment in your life where you were sitting on the floor and something had happened, and you just went, I literally have no idea what to do next. I feel like I did everything right. I feel like things probably shouldn't have gone this way, and they did. Everything I think about isn't going to work. What do I do? What do you normally do? You call a friend, (laughs) or you pray, and you reach out, because in that moment, you actually don't have the internal power to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And the irony here with a phrase like this is that we just celebrated Easter. We just celebrated the death and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. Yet, God only helps those who help themselves kind of in direct contrast of that whole thing we just celebrated four weeks ago sometimes we think uh, that other people deal with that I never get that deep but other people do again let's just check that maybe we do maybe we are a little bit deeper than we can get ourselves out of sometimes maybe that's something that we need to work on one of my favorite shows, television shows of all time, is The West Wing. I don't know if there's any fans of The West Wing here. Oh, I have one small clap from the back. That's amazing. Lauren can attest to you that I've probably watched the series, what, 15 times or something like that? It's You know how some people put on a TV show in the background and it just plays and it lets you like you do work? Mine is The West Wing. And there's this story where two of the main characters are talking about getting in despair. And the story is there's a guy and he falls in a hole. And he's calling for help and he's calling for help because he's in this hole. And he can't get out and he can't get out. And he has friends that call and they say, hey, try to climb this or try to do that and they can't do it. And finally, a friend walks by and jumps in the hole with him. And he goes, what are you, an idiot? Now we're both stuck in the hole. And the guy goes, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Right? We were down in the hole. And Jesus jumped in with us and led us the way out. And the fact that we would then take that and go, and that was just for me, is crazy. (laughs) So let's not do that. Now, if you've been paying attention for the last two weeks, you will go, okay, Mike, this is all really nice, but for the last two weeks, everything you've said is, okay, so let's look at the first week, Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, and we did all that, and we did all this teaching, but the end was, you know, you can't just sit idle, you can't just sit still, you have to move, you have to work, so Mike... Is last is two weeks ago, in contrast to this, God is saying you have to do something, but you have to seek after Him, but also, you know, does God just help those who help themselves? But, but is that helping yourself? Right? And then last week we talked about this. God never gives you more than you can handle, was the out-of-context one last week, right? This idea that uh, we shouldn't have more than we can bear, but that's not true. We're dependent on God, and we need to seek Him, and we need to find Him. And the beauty is, is that all these things are actually part of the story together. We're still called to seek after God. We're still called to pray and look for Him and to call on the Holy Spirit. But we're also called to remember that there are a lot of people that don't know how to do that or haven't been there or haven't been taught or don't know about that level of grace at all or maybe knew that level of grace and were treated terribly by people in that community and ran away from it, not because of Jesus, but because of something they experienced from us. And so we need to take the whole picture in when we do that. We need to remember that, you know what, we do have a responsibility as people who are in the faith to seek after and follow Jesus, but we also have a responsibility to sit beside our neighbor, whether we know them or not, whether we agree with them or not, whether we like them or not, and we need to sit with them, and we need to jump in that hole, and we need to lead them to Jesus too. It's not just one little thing. It's all together. Because like we've said this whole time, when you take one little phrase or one little verse biblically and you isolate it, it can take on a life of its own. But when you look at Scripture as a whole, and what you look at what Christ has done for us as a whole, It helps us know how to live and operate and work in each individual scenario. So, when we can help ourselves, we should. We absolutely should. That doesn't mean we should sit idle. We should still seek after God. We should still pray for wisdom and guidance and encouragement and all of the things that we need. But we can't assume that everybody else can. And we can't assume that everybody else knows how. And we can't assume that even if somebody has been in the faith for a long time, that in that moment, they're not the one sitting on the floor that's experienced it all, but just doesn't know what to do next. So let's take that little part of us. Let's take what this phrase has taught us, both about ourselves and how we treat others. And let's just get rid of it. Let's remember that God's grace falls on all of us, that we all need it at different times, and that we as the body of Christ are called to help each other along the way. Call out to God and lead us. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. God, thanks so much. Thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness. Thank you that it is everlasting, that it is endless, that it is deep that it is wide, thank you, that in the moments that we can do something, you have taught us how to seek after you, and in the moments that we don't know what to do, we are not in a position where we need to figure it out before you show up. And God, I pray that as we live our lives day to day, that you would teach us how to be people with compassion and love and care so that we wouldn't take a God-helps-those-who-help-themselves attitude into our lives, and decide who we're going to help based on that. God, break our hearts for everybody, for those who know you and for those that don't. In Jesus' name.